around the time when Saul was persecuting him in 2 Samuel. When when Saul was hunting David down, that that almost consumed Saul. And then as we get hints, it's from David. Like he talks about escaping a city. He talks about being in the wilderness. He talks about his emotions, how he's feeling, the shame he's feeling, the loss of relationship because he was close with Saul. Indeed, his best friend was Saul's son, Jonathan. So this psalm is written by a soul who's feeling hurt, broken, persecuted, isolated, and above all, having a broken relationship with someone he once loved dearly. Understanding this psalm is helpful for us. Uh, Understanding that context behind it. As we look at the theme of anxiety from Psalm 31. And I know some people, when you say anxiety, that raises anxiety. And it does for me sometimes in pastoral situations. But we live in a world that is full of anxiety, don't we? The world is ever-changing. It's fast-paced. We have political instability, especially in Britain. We have cultural change, the death of community. We have world events that push on us, let alone our own uh, health, our spouse's health, our children's health, their future, uh, finances, work, peer pressure, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that can just feel like it's pouring down on us. And subtly, we don't, sometimes don't even know it, our anxieties are raising. And one day we just feel completely overwhelmed. We feel like we're in the rat race. Our anxiety is at a unprecedented high level within our cultures. Many people are feeling it. Many people are getting sick by it. There's loads now related health issues. Even though we live in the most affluent generation that's ever existed, even though we live in the most connected generation that's ever lived. Like, I'm here from Scotland. That is amazing. My wife texts me, you're 4,000 miles away because we have the Found a Friend app. We're connected, though. I'm connected to you, you're connected to me. I can Skype Michael. Two seconds, just see his face. But even though we're connected, anxiety levels are an all-time high. So how does the Bible speak into our situation? How does the Bible address our worry, our fear, and our anxieties? Well, we're going to look at Psalm 31. I'm just going to read it for us. Uh, But before I do, I want to pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that you are holy, holy, holy. That that right now is the angel's song in your presence. And Lord, Uh, We know, as the psalmist says, that if your holiness descended on earth, the hills would melt like wax in your presence. Father, we thank you that we have a great and high priest who can stand in that holy presence in our name. We thank you for Jesus Christ this day, who by his death has adopted us as family, who has redeemed us and healed us. So, Father, we pray today that you would send uh, your Holy Spirit, the Lord, he would illuminate our minds, our hearts, and that we would fix our eyes on Jesus. That after today, we would leave this hall knowing that we had spent time in your presence. The Lord, indeed, uh, we may even shine like Moses when he came down the mountain 
after experiencing your holiness. And Lord, that this infilling that we have of your presence, of the covenant community, the Lord, that we would go out and share your word. So Lord, help us maybe uncomfortably face our anxieties today, maybe uncomfortably face our fears, but Lord, give us the wonderful offer of the gospel that we would hear it and we would plant it in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. So this is quite a lengthy psalm. Uh, I'm reading from the ESV, but it's the UK version, so there might just be slight word differences. It shouldn't be that massive. So you'll turn with me in Psalm uh, 31, and it starts, To the choir master, a psalm of David. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save. For you are my rock and my fortress. And for your namesake, you lead me and guide me. You take me out of the net they have hidden for me. For you are my refuge. Into your hand, I commit my spirit. You have rescued me, O Lord, faithful God. I hate those who pay regard to worthless idols, but I trust in the Lord. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have known my distress of my soul. You have not delivered me into the hands of the enemy. You have set my feet in a broad place. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am distressed. My eye is washed from grief, my soul and my body also. And my life is spent with sorrow and many years sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity. My bones waste away because all of my adversaries I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbor and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. I have been forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. For I hear the whispers of many, terror on every side, as they scheme together against me, as they plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hands of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame. For I call upon you. Let the wicked be put to shame. Let them go silently to Sheol. Let, them, let their lying lips be mute. Their speech insolent against the righteous. In pride and contempt. Oh, how abundant in your goodness. Which you have stored up for those who fear you. And worked, for those, uh, and worked for those who take refuge in you and in the sight of the children of mankind. In the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in the shelter from the strife of tongues. Blessed be the Lord, for he wonderf wonderfully shown his steadfast love to me when I was in a besieged city. I had said in my alarm, I am cut off from your sight, but you heard the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help. Lord, the Lord, uh, love the Lord, all you his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful. 
but abundantly repays the one who acts in pride. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Amen. And may God bless that public reading of his most holy words. Um, to help us think about, think through this psalm this morning, I want to frame it just with two points. And the first point is the psalmist's reality. What is he facing? And then the psalmist's perspective. Where is he looking? Because as we read this, David finds himself in a tough situation, doesn't he? David uh, opens by saying he's in need of rescue. He's needed refuge. He's a refugee. He's on the run. He's fleeing a situation. And it makes him cry out to the Lord, please hear me. Incline your ear. Come save me. Rescue me. This is his plea. And through the psalm, he fills out more of his situation, doesn't he? He says in verse 4, he is trapped. Verse 8 and 11, enemies are around him. He is crying out in distress. You know, like when a kid traps their hand in something and panics, it's that sort of distress. It's sheer fear. His own strength is failing. He, got, he uses a powerful illustration there, like his bones are wasting away. Uh, he's becoming weary. Verse 10, his neighbors don't like him. Uh, I think we can all get that. Uh, verse 11, his friends are full of dread. That when they see him, he crossed the other street, the other side of the street. He feels forgotten. He, people are gossiping. He is being pursued. He is full of shame. He feels afflicted. He is in deep anguish and sorrow. Verses 7, 9, and 10. And almost at the apex of the psalm, right in the middle of it, he writes these words. I have been forgotten. Like one who is dead, I have become like a broken vessel. Is it safe to say this guy is a poor soul, as we would say in Scotland? There's a lot going on in his life. There's a lot that would make David anxious. We, think, we may even think, man, he has a right to be anxious. You know, One on that list makes me freak out. All of that list is tough. You know, he was in a besieged city. His situation is hard. But emotionally and spiritually, his situation is hard, isn't it? He feels shame. He feels dread. These deep, dark emotions that sometimes would rob us of our hope. All these elements together are a recipe for anxiety. Aren't they? And I bet many people this morning, as we looked at that list, just really quickly make identified with one of them. I know I do. I know I, sometimes I feel trapped. I feel like people are gossiping. I feel like uh, I need of help. And this uh, feeling of emotion, this anxiety bubbles up. Maybe you can relate to a few. The psalmist's reality here, David's reality, is one of pressure stress, fear, and anxiety. And verse 12 brings that powerfully home, doesn't it? He uses great imagery there. He says, he feels forgotten like one who is dead. I have become like a broken vessel. And David does a really interesting thing here. He says, I feel forgotten as though no one knows me. I'm good for nothing. No one's listening. No one sees me, but he links it to death. I feel so forgotten. I feel like I'm even dead. 
David feels what we would say in Scotland, like a good for nothing. And that in itself brings anxiety. When we feel we're not being heard, we're not being listened to, when we have no value, you know, that is big in our culture. People feeling that they have no value. Emotionally, we get a sight into his being here in verse 22. What does it say? It says, I said in my alarm. So you get it. He's up at this fear level of anxiety. I am cut off from your sight. And this being cut off is the language of a gardener. Uh, how many people prune their flowers or their bushes at home? How many of you can remember each flower or each leaf? You can't because you're cutting it off. You're throwing it away. You see it as useless. That's what David's feeling in his anxiety. I'm like a cut off bit of rubbish. There's nothing good in me. That feeling that brings along that anxiety in my uh, community, which is rather poor, is widespread. This feeling of worthlessness. This feeling that life, I'd just be better dead. It's got to be easier than this. That feeling that they can't do anything right. And this pain, this existential anxiety drives people in my community to drugs, drink, and bad relationships. Because they take drugs to escape it. They drink to try and make themselves feel better. They sleep around to try and numb this, to try and find value somewhere. And I'm pretty sure that that happens in Syracuse as well. That feeling of worthlessness drives people. That anxiety, that feeling like they're a broken vessel. That's, that's really powerful imagery as well, isn't it? Like you don't pick a cup up that's broken to try and take a drink of water because it just flows out. It's good for nothing. Not only is David feeling trapped, forgotten, feels like death, his pals gossip about him. His enemies plot around him. He feels broken, worthless, like a, uh, like a worthless vessel. And this brokenness feeds into his anxiety, like almost like a perfect storm. And it makes him cry out in verse 13. For I fear the whispers of many. Terror is on every side as they scheme and plot against me, as they plot to take my life's. Uh, to take my life. We can see the level of anxiety David's at here, that even a whisper sets him into terror. Sets his fear off. Now, a whisper, maybe not now for us, but a tweet set us into terror. Facebook message, an Instagram post, a comment, and suddenly we feel like terror on every side. Or an email from work. You know, our anxiety levels raise. David, for a, it was a whisper that set him off. I hope we're beginning to see that this lifestyle, this, all the things David's painting for us in this beautiful psalm is a lifestyle that is draining, that is exhausting. And many in here today may feel that reality. Definitely many in the community around here feel that reality. You may even live like this in fear of emails and dread that this anxiety is bubbling away uh, behind maybe a nice facade. No one would even know, you know? And what's the first victim 
in this level of anxiety is joy. We, use, we lose the joy of life because we come, become bound up in ourselves. Uh, we live like in a state of worst case scenario. It's like um, taking this guitar, right, and then wrapping up the neck with tape and then trying to play it. It wouldn't, wouldn't work because it's not designed to be that way. That's what anxiety does to our hearts. It wraps it up. And then we struggle to worship. We struggle to have community and fellowship because we're so bound up in ourselves. Our hearts can't play the melody it's meant to. Ed Welsh, a great uh, Christian writer who writes for CCEF, says, anxious people know they are needy, but their instincts are to worry their way through doomsday scenarios so that they can be prepared. It's exhausting. It's like the old Scottish joke that a man went into the doctors in acute anxiety and he said, doctor, you have to help me, I'm dying. He said, everything I touch hurts. I touch my head, it hurts. I touch my leg, it hurts. I touch my stomach, it hurts. I touch my chest, it hurts. Help me, doctor, I'm dying. Everything hurts. So the doctor examined him and said, I've got some good news for you and some bad news. He said, the good news is you're not dying. The bad news is you have a broken finger. That's, that's what anxiety does. Do you know what I mean? Anxiety makes you panic, freak out, because you're just containing yourself. Sometimes you miss the blessing, you miss the obvious, because you're at such a heightened level of doomsday scenario. I'm dying. I imagine many of us can, can relate to David here. This fear, this anxiety, feeling like a broken vessel, feeling cut off, feeling isolated, alone. But as we read this psalm, it's not one of doom and gloom, is it? We actually read it. There's something positive here. How can there be positivity in this psalm when we now know David's situation? How can he do it? How can David say in verse 7, I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love? It's almost a bit like Job, isn't it? Job in the Old Testament. Everything happens to Job. And then he says right in the bang middle of that book, I know my Redeemer lives and I'll see him with my own eyes. What gives these guys the ability to shift their focus off themselves? And that's where we go on to our second point this morning. The psalmist's perspective. Where is he looking? Where does he find his hope? And if you look with me through the psalm, one word should jump out, you are yours. It's, it appears 38 times in these verses. In 24 verses, it appears 38 times. And we're identified to the who, the you is, right at the start when David says, in you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. David's perspective is not in and himself. He's not looking at his own fears and anxieties. He's looking up and saying, God, I look to you, for you are my Lord, my God. His focus is on the character of God that helps him deal with his fear, his worry, and anxiety. Because in God, verse 1, he's not going to be put to shame. In God, verse 2, God is his rescuer and his rock. Verse 3, he is his fortress. Verse 3, he is his guide. 
Verse 5 and 8, he is his redeemer. Verse 15, God is sovereign in David's life. He goes on, God is good, God can be trusted, God is steadfast in his love and faithfulness. And we have this beautiful crescendo at the end of this psalm where he says, Love the Lord, all his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful. Be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. The character of God for David is not theoretical. It's not a self-help system to try and correct his fear. His perspective informs his life, calms his anxieties, and actually helps him rejoice and praise the Lord, his God. God's character shapes how David views his current situation. He reminds himself of who God is to him. That he should be strong because his saviour is mighty to save. That he should take heart because God does not forget him. And the interesting thing in this psalm, if we look through it briefly, David uses the word God, G-O-D, which is like God as in sovereign, all-powerful, good, great, you know, God. But he also uses the name Lord capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which is God's name, that God is close to him, that God is near, like he's even asking God, incline your ear. That's like me just saying, hey mate, will you listen? Will you hear me? That closeness. David is reminding himself by using God's name that this is the God who saved his ancestors out of Egypt. This is the God who led them faithfully through the desert. This is the God who delivered the promised land to them. This is the Lord and God that keeps his promises, that his steadfast love endures forever, that his covenants he will never break, that his people he will never cast aside. This is David's Lord and God. This is a stunning psalm of hope when we're feeling under pressure, worry, and anxiety. Can you see how the Psalms are theologically rich, but also how they touch our emotions? We get what David's feeling here. We understand that feeling of brokenness. We understand that feeling of dread, hurt, aloneness. But in David's perspective, he shifts and looks to the Lord, his God, his all-powerful Savior. And that helps him in his fears and anxieties. And this is so important for us to do as Christians uh, because see if we do not fix our eyes on the Lord our God, two things will happen to us when pressure comes, when we become anxious. The first is we eventually have a breakdown. We collapse in on ourselves like a, like a star, like a, super, like a neutron star. We just focus in and we can't see any hope. Because we can't see outside ourselves. We just have that, I'm rubbish, I'm broken, I'm a broken vessel. And you keep looking inwards and inwards and you just consume yourself. Or secondly, we kind of shut down. We are functioning. So in World War II, there was a great thing, a really interesting illustration called uh, the walking wounded. Have you ever heard that statement? Guys who looked fine, but they were actually dying. Like they were up talking, walking around. 
but they were wounded. You couldn't see the, the, the real injury. And some of us shut down like that in worry and stress. We look fine, but inwardly we're breaking. We become cold and harsh to others in our anxiety. We can't empathize with people. We pull away from uh, fellowship. Uh, it's like, uh, you know, the big horses they have in Scotland. I can't remember what they're called. They're huge and they're big and hairy. But they put these blinkers on them so that they can just see a narrow path. Because they can't handle anything else. They panic. Sometimes in our anxiety, we do that. We put blinkers on and we can't engage with our wife and husband and their fear and hurt and pain because we're just surviving ourselves. We're just content. But it's because we're focusing inwards. Our perspective is inwards where this psalm teaches us to lift our eyes to the Holy One of Israel, to our Lord, our God. Because our hope is not in ourselves. It's in God. And I love this psalm because it ends with verse 23, which says, Love the Lord, all you saints. This is a corporate psalm. We could read this and think, well, this is just about me. But actually, it's about all of us. We need to be in church when we're anxious. The devil wants you to retreat away because you're, you're vulnerable. It's easier to drop your eyes on yourself. But coming into church, you should meet all the saints of God who point you to their Savior, who help you lift your eyes, who help you out of your anxiety to point you to Jesus. This is a collective psalm. This is a psalm from someone who knows Jesus and wants others to follow God. In Renovation Church and in the Merkins Church, we must be communities of believers that point each other to God. In our pain, in our heart, in our brokenness, we need to point to the cross of Calvary. Because no matter how broken we are, no matter how much we feel cut off, we are truly and completely accepted in Jesus Christ. I think one of the greatest lies that affects the church in this level is that our anxieties make us think uh, that Jesus regrets saving us. That's not true. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Why? For you, for me. Jesus does not regret saving you. That's why the church needs to respond to people who are anxious and worried by pointing them to Jesus, but also addressing the heart and saying there is sin here. Because that's what sin does. Sin places us on the throne room of our hearts. Sin makes us foolishly think we are in control, that we are many gods in our world. But one visit to the doctor can shatter that illusion. One uh, illness can weaken us. One situation at work can make us feel powerless, anxious, fearful, and alone. But sin wants us to, to put ourselves in that phone room and see it kicked away from us. And then it condemns us. Like the sand, like, you know, David feels broken, useless, that he can't do anything. That's the ugliness of sin, right? It tries to elevate us and then it drops us to the basement and tries to keep us there. That's why we need as communities to remind ourselves of the love of the Lord. That's why the psalm finishes this way. Renovation in church need to be a place where we challenge sin in a loving way, pointing to the Lord of hosts. 
that we point people to Jesus Christ on the cross where he took our shame, our pain, and our sin and died to destroy them so that we could experience the love of God. That while we were yet enemies of Jesus, he died for us. Beautiful, amazing truth we have as gospel-believing Christians. But not only that, that that then shifts our perspective off ourselves. It's not dependent on us. Your salvation is not dependent on how good you look, how well you act. If you help out at Sunday school, it's the finished work of Jesus Christ. So we rest in him. You don't need to come to Jesus and say, this is what I've done for you this week. He's not interested in that. Jesus is calling you today to come weary, broken, needy, anxious, and he still loves you. Jesus loves you completely and wholly. That's an amazing truth, isn't it? You know, like uh, I got married last year and I tried to like, like lose weight. I was successful, as you could tell. Um, just because I thought, oh, like, you know, I need to look good for my wife. But she loves me. Like big belly and all, hairy chest and all. You know what I mean? And that's the beauty. Jesus, the love of the Lord, the steadfast love of the Lord is on his people. And we just delight in him. That's why we rejoice. That's why we pray. That's why we do mission, isn't it? It's the love of the Lord that compels us. It's not something to do. It just flows out of us. And there's a really interesting section in this passage. And with this, I'll close. If we look at verse 5, the words here, into your hand, I commit my spirit. And if we were to turn to Luke 23, verses Uh, 46, we would see here on the cross, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. Jesus here uses Psalm 31 but he, he actually amends it a wee bit. If we look at it, what was the word he added? Father. The fatherhood of God. Through Jesus, through the cross, God, the awesome God, G-O-D, is your personal savior. That's amazing. That we have the right as his children to come before his throne any time of the day. Tim Keller's got a great illustration of this. He says only a child of the king would ask the king for water at three in the morning. That's like us. We have that right in prayer because of Jesus Christ. So take your fears to God. Take your anxieties. Pray to him. Leave them at his throne and know that he hears you as your father. J.I. Parker, a theologian, says adoption is the most wonderful uh, doctrine in the Bible. That we were enemies, but now we're children of the uh, the most high God. Amen. It's so great. But Jesus also amended it by leaving something out, didn't he? He took away the last kind of verse uh, where he said, uh, into your hand I I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful one. 
Because Jesus didn't say you have redeemed me because that is what he was doing on the cross for us. He was redeeming us. He who knew no sin became sin for us. So on the cross, Jesus became the ugliest, most disdainful thing to God so that we can come before God the Father. He redeemed us. He destroyed our sin. But even more, he destroyed death. And he comes to give us life and life to the fullest. This is the new perspective for our anxiety, isn't it? Look into Jesus. Look into the cross. Not to ourselves. Not to things in the world that might try and fix us. But look into Jesus and say, You took my sin so that I can stand in the presence of God as a child. Lord, help me. I need you. It's a wonderful psalm. There's a song that says, Lord, now indeed I find thy power and line alone can change the leopard's spots and melt this heart of stone. Because Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. He has washed it white as snow. Do you know this today? Do you know Jesus? Do you take your fears to him in prayer? Or do you try and own it? Do you look to him in faith and ask God the Father to hear you in his name? Because let's be honest, if I if, uh, I was saying to Michael this week, uh, we worked out our church budget uh, as a church planner. And I didn't sleep for two nights because I thought, Who, how can we get this money? No one in the launch team at the time was working. There was only five of us. This is unbelievable, you know, that anxiousness. But our Lord God, the cattle on a thousand hills is his. He will provide. Trust, have faith in your fears and anxieties. Look to Jesus. If you do not know him, you'll be weighed down. You'll be troubled. Where do you go with this? Do you look inwards to try and fix yourself? No, you know that doesn't work. Do you try and put on morality thinking that is what helps? Eventually that breaks and shears. Or are you like the guys in my community? Do you drink? Do you seek things to numb the pain? It doesn't work. It eventually ends in nothingness and it's self-consumption. For as Jesus says, he came to give life and give life to the fullest. And full life is at the foot of the cross. So let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just pray that you would never remove us from the foot of the cross. That we would see that our sin held you there. But also, Lord, we would see the glory in the cross. Help us rejoice in your Son. Help us want to know Jesus better. And Lord, if we are sitting here today and we are anxious, we are fearful, we are worried, help us through the power of your Holy Spirit shift our gaze to Jesus, knowing that he is the author and perfecter of our faith. That Jesus, there's no offering that we can bring to buy our salvation. There's no uh, amount of money we can bring. There's no good deeds. It's all on you. And we thank you for that, Jesus. That saves us uh, 
from morals that saves us from trying to look good, act good. Jesus, we pray that you would renew our hearts today, that this community here would be like the community at the end of this psalm who point the love of their Lord, who point the broken there, who point the needy there, who point the sinful there, every man, woman, and child, Lord, that they would see Jesus Christ, that they would see redemption, that they would see healing, that they would see safety, that they would see uh, just their Lord and their God. So Lord, we pray for this area in Syracuse. We pray for Renovation Church that this would be a bastion for the gospel, that people would hear the truth, come in, see Jesus, life's changed and transformed by him alone, and that this family would grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.